Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Special Operations, Covert Ops, Espionage, The Team House, with your hosts, Jack Murphy and David Park. Hey guys, this is episode 99 of The Team House. I'm Jack Murphy here with co-host Dave Park. We are back for round two with Danny Colson. Danny is a retired FBI agent. He was the founder of the FBI's hostage rescue team. We had him on back on episode 87, talking about his career. Uh, tonight, we're having him back primarily to talk about Ruby Ridge and Waco. Uh, Danny is also the author of No Heroes, uh, which is a memoir. Dave, Dave read no. this, this hefty boy. Um, it's so, a fantastic read. I mean, it's a fantastic read. And it's not, and we'll go into a little bit about your background, but it's not just about HRT, but, hmm. but it, it goes into like, I mean, a the lot. FBI a long time ago. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah. So no, that's, that's really all I got. I mean, this is uh, episode 99. We're really excited to have uh, Danny back for round two. Um, so Danny, for people who have not seen episode 87 quite yet, if you haven't, uh, everyone out there, I recommend you go check it out after this. Um, could you give us a couple minutes of a uh, recap of your career, kind of up until that point? Oh, sure. Uh, first of all, let me say, I'm honored to be on your show. Thank uh, you. This is a show with heroes, about heroes, of which I am not either. So um, thank you for having me on. You have some great guests here, some of my actually know. But uh, I'm honored you would invite me to come on. Plus, it's fun. You know, I do a lot of TV, and that's all soundbite bullshit uh, where you can only have 30 seconds to get a point across. This is nice. It's dialogue, and I enjoy talking to you guys. So, okay, about Danny. Good Lord, I hate to do this. Um, I'm a native Texan, uh, TCU Horn Frog, SMU Law School, took the Texas Bar, passed it, uh, was recruited in the FBI <clears throat> when um, I was still in law school. And I wasn't that interested in taking the Texas bar because I wasn't going to practice and I was going to get the hell out of there. So I took it cold turkey and passed it somehow. I'm not sure. Um, I went to the FBI. Uh, first office, I, uh, I was put undercover in the Patriarca uh, crime family. And that was interesting. I was, I was Daniel, no, Neil Carson was my name. And we put a bunch of really bad guys in jail. And they gave me this great reward and sent me to New York City which the last place in the world I wanted to go. But it worked out. It was it was a great experience for me. I spent a little time chasing the CPUSA and had some misadventures. I was not very good at that, frankly. And then they put me on. Uh, I was a fugitive guy. I hunted people for a living. And uh, there were some policemen killed in New York City by the Black Liberation Army. And uh, 
I was actually upstate New York, uh, getting away from the city. And I got a call to come back immediately. I was put on a new team to find these cop cars. So that was what I did for quite a while. I chased police killers and half the time they were chasing us and half the time we were chasing them. And fortunately we won generally, uh, had a few guys hurt, but, uh, we eliminated a lot of those terrorists. That was great for me. Um, then the FBI was put on the FBI sniper team. I was always a pretty good shot. And then became a firearms instructor, and then they formed the SWAT program, and they put me in charge of it, uh, at least in New York, for my team. So that was kind of it. Um, I, I worked a lot of good stuff there. I worked dog day afternoon. Remember that? Dog day afternoon. I yeah. did that case. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah. What that movie doesn't show is one guy got away, and uh, my partner and I had to track him down. That was a true adventure. I'm not sure we can even talk about that. It was uh, – as you know, they're all looking to get sex changes, and that's about as much as I'm going to say about that. That was the proceeds for the bank where we were going to go to that. So that was I went to a lot of strange places looking for these guys, and there was some there's some great movie scenes of that if we could ever do it. But um, then I was recruited to go to headquarters and uh, work on the Hill for the FBI, and uh, that was um, actually I knew Joe Biden. Um, He's not in decline. He was declined when I was with him 30 years ago. He hadn't got any worse, he's saying. Not much different. Um, that, that was a good experience for me. I think it taught me uh, some patience. Uh, a lot of I work with Chuck Schumer. I know, I know a lot of these guys. I'm, I'm pretty old, actually. So um, a totally different experience for me. Um, I'm a tactical guy. I arrest people and chase terrorists and whatever, rescue hostages. And working with the Congress was, that was awful. Um, I was. I had a meeting one night with a guy named Louis Stokes. He was the. Uh, he was a black congressman from Detroit, a good guy, and we had totally different interests, but we liked each other. And he asked me one night. He said, "Danny, what'd you do before you came here?" I said, "Well, I was on a SWAT team, arrested bad people, and uh, I uh, captured police assassins, cop killers." And he said, "Which was worse?" I said, "You." <laughs> you're much worse than they were. I know what I know. They're going to shoot me. I have no idea what you're going to do. So <laughs> that was kind of my exposure to that. And then I had a couple of administrative jobs. And then um, there, there came a time when the FBI needed to create a hostage rescue team or a counter terrorist team. At that time, you'll remember there was Delta Force and SEAL Team Six, more Seiko uh, was SEAL Team, and uh, Charlie Beckwith was Delta, and they wanted to put a team together. And so I got the ticket and. Uh, I had great support from the director of the FBI. He kind of liked me for some reason. And because um, putting together a team like that, we didn't talk about this that much, but there's a lot of opposition to that. Um, one, of you, one of the things, I'm sure you guys know this, but when you have an, a, team, a team like that, that is so difficult to get on, their missions are so hard. I mean, we kill people training them. It's that dangerous that a lot of bureaucrats don't have the guts to do what you did in your life. Uh, they certainly didn't have the guts to do what I did. And they fight you every step of the way. It was horrible. And every HRT commander will, will agree with me. That's that's the hardest thing, is dealing not with the terrorists you have to confront or the hostages you rescue. It's the bureaucrats you must deal with. And a lot of those bureaucrats are even worse when you talk about the Department of Justice. I mean, it's really pretty awful. So I got I, got, I survived that, barely. Um, and then went on to do a few other things. And uh, when I left the FBI, I was recruited to take care of a young man named Tiger Woods. And I did his security for over 20 years, uh, back in the PJ Tour. So 
God blessed me with a lot of adventures. Um, he blessed me with people better than me to go on them with, much better. And a wife that was amazing and put up with all my absences and lack of attention and all the other things. So, uh, yeah, I, I've had a very, I've had a blessed life. And um, one of the big blessings is the people I work with. So there are a couple of things, and we talked about this on the last show, um, but because I'm such a geek, we have to talk about it now, too. You are the real Agent Colson. I am. And, yes. And, and, and not just no, because of it's, your it's name. It's kind of a joke, really. Um, my wife's a school teacher, and um, the kids used to ask her, Mrs. Colson, is your husband Agent Colson? She said, no, he's not. Well, I am. Um, the Hawks Oatsby is a very, very famous writer. And he called me one day out of the blue. I didn't know him. And he said, Danny, you don't know me, but I know a lot about you. I said, okay, <laughs> what's the deal? He said, I read your book, and I love the dialogue in No Heroes. It's very real. And uh, I keep that, that, that book on my desk, and we, we had dialogue in one of our, the movies we write. Um, we opened your book, and uh, we named Asia Colson after you. So I got zero money for that, which I think is kind of, kind of sucks. But anyway. It's kind of it's kind of fun. I'm Asia Colson. That it's amazing. Um, so I just want to say that what you just talked about your your quick intro to your life is probably about. I, I don't know if this is about if this is accurate, but it's about this much of the book. So mm-hmm. yeah. So for the people who haven't had a chance to watch our first interview or read the book, I highly recommend both of them because there are so many fascinating parts of just your history, the history of the FBI. Like when you, and originally in New York, when you're on the SWAT team and you guys would do entry, you would have to be, you were always had to be the number one guy because FBI policy dictated the number one guy had to carry a shotgun. And it also dictated Mm -hmm that only firearms instructors were allowed to carry shotguns. Yeah, that's so, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, it has to be that. I, I mean, you know, um, about the dumbest person in the world can use an A-70 shotgun, and maybe that's why they gave it to me. I wasn't very smart. <laughs> but actually, the reason I got to be the entry guy, because I was always the shortest guy, <laughs> and the body number carried, uh, covered more of my private parts than uh, other guys. So they would say, okay, you, you know, you go first, you, you know, whatever. And I probably made a thousand entries like that. And um, that, that, they gave me great experience. Uh, it gave me great experience for the HRT. It gave me great experience with life. Um, those things are fairly dangerous. And some of them are so funny. I mean, we, we do all this planning and the FBI is supposed to be so sophisticated. And sometimes we look like a bunch of boobs. <laughs> I mean, we, we, uh, we did, I want to tell you this quick story. Uh, we had a warrant on a guy named Tony Electrico. Tony Electrico was a Puerto Rican guy, bad guy, killed a bunch of people. And I got a call in the middle of the night. Uh, we're picking you up downstairs. We got a guy cornered. So I went downstairs, major case from the NYPD, which is, by the way, amazing police department there, the best. Um, we had him located, and she, he was with a lady of the night. And so when she came out, she said, he's in there. And we said, okay, good. So they got two other, you know, 400 pound gorillas and they knocked the door down and it literally went down flat. It didn't open. It went down flat on the ground. And I went barreling in there looking at this guy and we could not find him. I even looked in the refrigerator. 
I, I looked everywhere for this guy. Under beds, went to the window and talked to the guy on the fire escape. And they said, no, he's not here. I said, what the hell? And all of a sudden, this little hand came out from under the door. <laughs> he, he heard us coming and thought it was his girlfriend coming back. And when he went to open the door, the door is flattened. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that, that's not in the SWAT manual. But things like that happen. And I think, you know, I, in our business, humor is huge for us. It, you know, in your business. I mean, it keeps you sane. It keeps you... I think focused and things, a lot of things like that happen, just ridiculously stupid things. And there's a lot more too. Sometimes we did things that were so stupid that our, our supervisor would say, what the hell are you guys thinking about? And we, I mean, we just screwed everything up, but it came out right. So I guess that's all that matters. It's not, it's not perfection. It's just, we get seem to get it done. Danny, there was a question I wanted to ask you on the last show, um, but we didn't really have time, but you know, your first, the first, party but kind of focused on like the black liberation army and these right. sort of black or marxist extremists and then you know hrt has kind of stood up in a time when these islamic extremists appeal like are hijacking and then the like a lot later on you guys are chasing these white extremists these christian you know uh the csa and people right. like that obviously extremism is not you know an inherent part of the left or an inherent part of the right or or an inherent part of any color was there something even though they had completely different views and commonality worldviews was there something that you felt that that these people these extremists these people drawn to these radical ideologies that had in common yeah that's that's a great question thanks for asking that it has to do with uh religion um Christian identity is, you know, a, 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 I'm a Christian. I'm a very strong, devout Christian, very active in my church. I say prayers many times a day because I need to. Um, and I'm a religious person. But this Christian identity movement is based on Christianity. And it has to do with the temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden. And what came out of that. And I think here's the way it works, in my view. Um, people look for an excuse. Or they look for excuse for inadequacies, or they look for a higher order. And a lot of the terrorists I've dealt with are like that. Um, and think about this. If I'm a terrorist leader and I screw something up, I didn't screw it up. It was God's will. Mm-hmm. So you have an excuse. You've seen that. You've seen that in your business. That they, they use uh, a religion, whether it's left or right, or whether or not it's uh, Islamic or anything. Uh, Christian or even Jews, um, it, it absolves you of responsibility and also helps you to have an excuse for failure. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe that's really important. And I was, you know, I didn't screw up this mission; it was God's will, mm-hmm. and uh, it just wasn't the time or whatever. And I think that's it applies to both types of ter- terrorists, whether or not you're uh, uh, white supremacist or whether or not you're a Islamic terrorists, and by the way, one thing we need to say is that Islamic terrorists kill more Muslims than they do Christians. You got to remember that uh-huh. that they're victimized by these guys just like anybody else. And I think that's important. We have to put it in perspective and remember, remember that. So, when you were dealing with like the Marxists, like the Black Liberation Army, and whatnot, would you equate sort of Marxism or the fundamental the, their their degree of belief in that? Would you equate that to a religion that, that they're all in on a particular ideology like that? 
Not so much the Black Liberation Army, but clearly the CSA movement, clearly McVeigh's, McVeigh's movement. Um, he was very, very active with the uh, white supremacists. Many people know that. Right. And that was a Christian-based philosophy. So the BLA were just mean. They were just, I mean, they were, they were the toughest people I've ever come up against. Yeah, so, yeah you mentioned you know, that they'd use, like, the tra- uh, the War of Algiers as their training video. Yeah. Yes, the war, war in, Al- uh, the, I'm sorry, the Battle of Algiers Battle. is a book. Yeah, sorry about and that. And um, they, they tried to ambush, they tried to ambush me. Yeah. And didn't pull it off because we knew what they were doing. So, no, it was just, they were good and they were smart. And by the way, uh, Joanne Chesimard is still in Cuba. She may be dead now, I think. There's somewhere where she died. But um, that woman, she, she was horrible. I um, I actually broke her hand, fingerprinting her. She fought me so bad. So they're not sissies. And uh, Twyman Myers, the, one of the guys you read about in the book, who killed a bunch of cops. Yeah. When we put him down. I will tell you, and I know this to be true, he fought me to his last breath. He died with my hands on him, and he was still fighting. And he, uh, is he the one that had the grenade on him? I'm sorry? Is he the one who had the grenade on him? Yes. Right. Well, that's why we were, that's why, that's why I had my hand on his throat, because I was, you know, I thought he was going to pull it out. Yeah. But uh, my partner, uh, Bob McCartan, actually put him down, and uh, I helped a little. And, um, he was a tough guy. I mean, I have to say, um, the toughest guy I ever faced. And, you know, most people, they get mortally wounded. They, they give up, not him. Yeah. He basically fought me until he died. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, I just think that sort of the whole, the people who gravitate towards extremism mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whichever side, it's just a very interesting study in oh, yeah. humanity. Yeah. And I'm not so sure we do a very good job with it right now. Um, we can talk about that a little later. Maybe. Sure. Um, I'm pretty disappointed in what the FBI is doing now um, with some of these extremists, especially uh, Antifa and that stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about, because last time we left off uh, with Ruby Ridge and Waco, mm-hmm. and you, tell us where you were in the FBI position-wise and sort of how these We'll start with Ruby Ridge, yeah, yeah. which was August twenty first, nineteen ninety two, right? And and how you were involved and in- well, I um, I commanded four divisions in the FBI. And the last one I commanded, um, or actually the second one I commanded, was uh, Portland, Oregon. And the director of the FBI called me one day and said, "Congratulations, I'm promoting you to be the deputy assistant director." And I said, "Okay." And he got really mad because I'm sp- supposed to be a big deal. It's not. It's just a clerk job and. You know, you don't do anything, you're just a clerk um, at headquarters. And so, anyway, I was the deputy at the time. Um, and I got called up to the uh, one of the executive offices with Larry Potts. And they said, we've had some marshals killed uh, out in Idaho. And, um, and frankly, I expected to be sent. Um, that's what I did. They brought me back there to do those things. That was why I was the deputy. And new regime, and I was not sent, even though I asked to go. I said, I want to go do this. It's CHRT. It's, it's what I do. And they said no. And so, um, not they, Doug Gow said no. Um, and then we had to do rules of engagement, which I thought was kind of a bad idea, but we did it. And along the way, the rules we gave them, it had to do with armed individuals seen outside um, could be engaged. Well, engaged doesn't mean shot. <laughs> it means engaged. You know what engagement means? You confront or 
whatever. So that uh, that got really exacerbated. And um, matter of fact, the director censored me because I sent rules of engagement and didn't call out to see that they were uh, in, in put in place when I sent them. I don't, I don't think you have to do that. I mean, I'm a commander. I tell you, do something, damn well, do it. And it's not my job calling and saying, did you do it? But he thought that, so he, he whatever. He said, uh, okay, I'm going to censure you. So he did. So shortly after that, uh, and that, by this time I was the commander of the division in Dallas. Uh, after headquarters, I was the commander in Maryland and then the commander in Dallas. And I was back in my office. And remember, I just come back from commanding Oklahoma bombing. Um, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty needed by the FBI at that time. And they had a problem. They sent me. And uh, he called me one day and said, I'm placing you in administrative leave. I said, for what? He said, I can't tell you. I said, you're, you're, you're duty bound to tell me. Wouldn't tell me. Uh, put me on leave. Didn't tell me why. Um, and I cannot, yeah, I cannot tell you what that's like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't suspended. Uh, I still had all my authority. I had, you know, could do whatever I had to do. But um, I'm a commander. I mean, I commanded a lot of stuff. And to have the director say, you are not, you can't, you got to get out of your office. You have to leave. And, um, you know, I was just devastated. And fortunately, um, a lawyer uh, that I did a rencontre with, a man by the name of Christopher Todd, who is one of the very best criminal lawyers in the country, called me and said, I just heard, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. And he said, uh, well, I'm going to represent you. My firm's going to take on your representation. You know what it costs to defend a case like that? A million dollars. That's what it costs to, to do a case like that. And I didn't have a million. I didn't have, I don't know if I had $40 at the time. Yeah. So he started representing me. And then um, it, it was a terrible time. I, I lost my house. Um, uh, the uh, underwriters saw that I'd been suspended and they kicked, they took my mortgage away. Yeah. So I got no place to live. I've got, um, you know, I, and, and of course at the time you feel like you're, you're the scarlet woman because it was all over the news media and a little fat lawyer assistant to the director. Uh, I won't say his name because I may have to choke him out someday and I don't want anybody to know about it. But uh, he went on. He went on TV and uh, our newspaper said this is one of the worst things in the history of the FBI. It wasn't at all. And you know, I'm, now I'm uh, after being commanding the biggest case in the history of the bureau. Uh, now I'm I'm uh, a villain. Yeah. And uh, and then certainly after that, um, we started getting threats to kill my family. So uh, I now had to deal. You know, I'm pretty good at security, but I didn't want to have to protect my own family. Right. And uh, I had kids in high school, and they were very prominent athletes. Um, one of my daughters had 47 Division I scholarship offers to play soccer. And so she's playing a soccer game. She's all over the newspaper. My younger the younger daughter is a, another good player, and I had those two boys. So now I've got a guy who calls himself Orkin, the exterminator, is going to come kill me and my family. So I had to deal with that. Mm -hmm. um, I used to take my uh, kids to uh, – sporting events um, with a Browning high power on my head and a hand grenade in each pocket. And I'm not making that up. That was, yeah. it was that serious. These guys were crazy and actually came for us. And fortunately they got, one of them got stopped on a traffic stop and didn't get there. Holy but um, that was pretty serious stuff. I'll tell you, let me say this about my wife. 
I'm married to the coolest woman on the planet. Um, uh, looking at me, it's hard to believe she's absolutely drop dead, beautiful, super smart, and she actually likes me. I'm not sure why, but we had a meeting with our kids. We had to say, look, you know, we've got people are trying to kill us, and this is what we're doing. And we went from uh, having family Labrador retrievers to him having family Rottweilers. Uh-huh. I mean, this was serious stuff. Uh, the, the girls had little wafers they wore up on their collars, and um, that was an alarm sent to the FBI and the police come help them. So this was, we weren't fooling around here. Um, a, a funny story, my daughter, again, was a very prominent athlete, and she had her first high school soccer game where she scored like a dozen dollars. So a little boy in the school who had a crush on her, uh, one of the nights uh, after one of her games, came to the house with a little bouquet of green and white carnations and put it on the de- doorstep and started creeping away. The cops got him because they were white house. So that poor kid ended up across the hood of a car, a police car, wet in his pants. And uh. my, my wife went out. And he said, Mrs. Colson, get your husband. I'm, I think I'm in trouble. And so there was some humor with this stuff. I yeah. Mean, crazy things but it, it was a very tense thing danny and we'll tell you a lot of anger yeah i was really really angry and then while i was on leave i was such a villain that uh, the attorney general sent me to lecture at harvard while i was on leave i couldn't i couldn't run a field division but i could lecture at harvard and they did that went up there and lectured the kennedy school um they had a a, a big standoff um with a group called the freeman and they called me and asked me how to do it, but I couldn't go to work. It was just, it was just absolutely ridiculous. It was the stupidest thing. And um, that went on for two years. And um, one thing I think that I think is significant here, to me anyway, is that at the end of two years, and I had to go back, let me back up a little bit. I had to go back to D.C. and be interviewed a million times by the Department of Justice, took me to the grand jury, um, they took me in to take major case fingerprints on me, and they screwed them up. I had to show them how to do it. They were such fools. But um, great lawyer. I wrote a lawyer, and uh, Michael Bromwich, who was the inspector general at the time, uh, I knew Michael really well. We did a rent contract together, and he weighed in, too. He basically said, him, you know, if, if you indict Danny Colson, I'll be his first witness, because there's no case here. Yeah. And so at the end of the two years, um, my lawyer went in for a meeting with the prosecutors and said, hey, you know, all I've got is water. Now, come on. Um, and they, my, my uh, lawyer, Chris, said, what's his status? And they said, um, he didn't have a status. There's never, any, there's never been charges against him. There's no accusation against him. So it's over. And so he called me and he said, what are you going to do? So I'm out of here. So I retired. And I'd already been recruited by the PGA Tour to take care of Doc Woods. So I was good uh, to leave. I hated it. I hated to leave like that. But the off, the uh, the division had an enormous party for me. And uh, they were pretty upset about it, too. Everybody was. It was horrible. And um, just to put it in perspective, the entire chain of command of the FBI's criminal division, assistant director, deputy assistant director, unit chiefs, section chiefs, Supervisors, no, we were all on leave with no charges. And uh, Louis let us, he, he didn't leave us out hanging out. He should have demanded charges, 
I mean, all the instant charges, but how do you fight uh, a ghost? You don't, you don't right. know what you're being charged with. Right. So, um, anyway, I had a, you know, I got to write No Heroes. Um, two of the lawyers uh, from the Department of Justice came to see me, and um, they knew about my career, and they both, a man, a man and a woman, actually, um, they said, Danny, you should write a book. And I said, oh, crap, I can't write a book. Well, we did. And Elaine Shannon from Time Magazine called me, and because she'd follow a lot of my cases, and she said, Danny, if you're going to write a book, I'm going to do it with you. So we wrote it together. And it, that's hard work, by the way. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's terrible work. And I'm not a very smart guy, so it was harder for me, I think, than most people. But, I mean, you'll sit down at a typewriter, and you don't hit a key. You're just there. You can't, I can't say anything. I don't know what to say. Yeah. And then sometimes they'll wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and write for seven hours. It's just flowed. And I, first thing I did was do an outline. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And started from there and just started writing. And, you know, we have no heroes. So I sort of, by the way, that book's been made into, I think, four TV shows. Four oh. uh, made for TV. Really? So, uh, um, I mean, there, there's, I mean... There's plenty of material in there for uh, multiple TV shows. Honestly, it's it's phenomenal, Danny. For like the people who don't maybe aren't super familiar with Ruby Ridge or have heard certain things, can we talk about it a little bit? Like, yes. how did it start? What what was the impetus of it? It was a it was a foobar from the beginning. Uh, a man named Randy Weaver who had been attending some of the church services um, was in Idaho. Uh, Christian Identity, uh, he went there a lot. Um, trying to think of the name of their compound. It was uh, actually taken down later. Anyway, ATF wanted to raid that compound. And um, they, they wanted inside information. And so they basically ran a sting on Randy Weaver to get him to an informant. Mm -hmm. And I think it was entrapment. ATF will tell you it was entrapment too. Um, they took, they, they got a shotgun for him that was a quarter of an inch too short. Now, what does that have to do with the crime problem in Idaho? I mean, good Lord. I mean, I carried, a, I carried a double barrel shotgun that was like 12 inches. And, you know, this thing was a little longer than that. And so they, they charged him. And um, wrongly so, I think. And I've, I've written about that officially. And um, they arrested him and he made bond and they didn't show up for bond. And so guess what? Then it goes to the marshal service. The marshal service had the job of bringing him in. And I will tell you to their credit, they didn't want to do it. It's a bullshit. Excuse me. Can I say that? Bullshit? Yeah, 100%. Okay, it's a bullshit case on a guy that's not a criminal, and um, the Marshal Service didn't want to do it. And let me back up a little bit. I have a great deal of respect for ATF agents. I've worked with them. I did CSA with one of you, remember Bill Buford? Yeah. And he's together. He's an American hero. 
and a lot of them are. A lot of them are really, really good. They're warriors like you. Uh, their, their leadership, not so much. So, okay, move on with the marshal service. Marshal service don't want to go after Weaver. But they, they send a team up to do a surveillance on them. And one of the members of the team was a guy named Marshall Deegan. Deegan worked for me when I committed the Atlanta prison riot because I brought because I didn't have the HRT in Atlanta, if you remember. Um, they were gone, another one. And um, so the Marshal Service SOG came to help me, and they were assigned to me. And Deegan was one of my guys, a good guy, uh, a really good guy. So they go up and they get compromised by Randy's dog. Uh, a young lab and they shot it from the back and killed it and a gunfight erupted and Sammy Weaver um, the younger boy, I think it was like 12 or 14 he was killed in the shootout I don't know who killed him I don't know if Randy killed him by mistake, friendly fire or the Washington doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make a difference so they had this huge problem so they deployed the HRT out there without me, I didn't go um and they had a perimeter set up, and Randy came out and tried to shoot down the HRT helicopter. So um, Randy Wood, uh, no, I'm sorry, um, one of the agents, I don't remember his name, didn't need to that. Anyway, really good guy, Jim to HRT operator, I picked him. And he, uh, he engaged, and uh, he just wounded Randy, as I recall. He was running. And so they're all running for the house, so Vicki Weaver, the wife, opens the door, and as she opens it up, a shot came through the open door and hit and killed her. So, you know, big, big foobar. Um, now we got a big standoff, and we got everybody showing up and media and stuff. And so um, I, I chastised the commander there very severely. He didn't have a negotiation plan. We always negotiate. Right. Even as a we always negotiate. And he didn't, he didn't even allow the uh, hostage negotiator, who I knew, to even begin negotiation. Wouldn't let him do it. Yeah. So I called out there and said, yeah, he will negotiate. You're not in charge. So bottom line, um, that's how it went. And they, they ultimately surrendered. They gave me an ops plan to assault the house. I turned it down uh, with Larry Potts. We both rejected it. And ultimately, they all walked out. You know, um, Bo Wrights was involved. You guys may know Bo. Professor Forces, yeah, just really a pretty good guy. He came in and talked him out, and then it's over. And then I get a call, you know, after the Oklahoma bombing from that, and I was informed that Jamie Gorelick, the Deputy uh, Attorney General, who has a very, very horrible reputation, well deserved, uh, she ordered that all of us be placed on leave, right, without charges or cause. And I'm not whining about this. You asked me to tell you what happened. This is exactly what happened. Yeah. And so we we did it, we did our thing. You know, we 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 saluted, and uh, I expected to be on leave maybe a couple of weeks, and I was on leave for two years. Yeah. And during that, I had oh. to take my uh, family into hiding. Yeah. Um, every, every April 19th, um, because that's kind of the you know that's the Waco, um, Oklahoma City bombing date. Um, there are a lot of things involved, and also it was uh, it's the day before Hitler's birthday, which is a big thing in these fools. So um, they um, we just lived our life, and um, I wrote the book. I, I got I got to be pretty damn strong. 
mean, I, you can imagine, I'm pumping some major iron. Um, I also went to work for a friend of mine. I was a short order cook. I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning, go uh, cook breakfast for about a hundred people. Uh, I was pretty good at it. Nobody died anyway. But they, <laughs> but they um, I did that and I wrote the book and I worked out a lot and I consulted with the FBI on major cases. So. Now, now with, that was one of the things that kind of stood out with Ruby Ridge. And, you know, it, it's, if you're not on the scene, it's really hard to judge the actions of the people on the scene. Everybody can be, you know, the, the sort of armchair general and say how things should have gone down. Right. But, but it was a very different profile for the FBI uh, HRT compared to the scene, you know, the, the things that you guys handled when you were when you were on the scene. You would have multi-day standoffs with people where you would do everything you could to reassure them, to encourage them, to work with them, um, and and sort of avoid that that you know conflict. And and again, yeah. I'm not judging the the HRT people that were there because I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. They know what happened. Um, it just seemed to be a different profile. So okay, let me tell you about that. Yeah, um, Charles Charles Beckwith, as you both know. The Delta commander, first founder of Delta. When I took the team, he came to me and said, you should not be afraid that they will give you an impossible mission because the men will figure it out. Uh-huh. Your biggest fear is a failed tactical mission from another unit for you will forever be tarred with the brush of their failure. That's Ruby Ridge. That's Wake Up. Right. right. Is, you know, I've got a four-year-old grandson. He and I could have arrested David Koresh. No problem. Right. Yeah. He, was, he's a, he was a wuss. He was not real smart. And we could have gone out and got him, the two of us. Right. Because he went to the Daily Queen every day, woke in, put a gun in his head, said, you know, let's go. Right. But um, they didn't do that. And got a lot of people killed and caused me a lot of misery and the world a lot of misery. So basically, what you said is really the way we work. I want to start a case from ground zero. The CSA case, I got that cold. Right. And that's, you know, that's the most heavily armed group ever faced by law enforcement history of this country. They were good. They had law rockets. They had Claymore mines. They had automatic weapons. They had, and they had night vision gear. It was really good. And, but you know what? We got to start it. And my guys are super smart and they're super dedicated and they're a lot smarter than me. And we pulled that off and didn't get it. I got the attorney general's award for that. I didn't deserve it. The team deserved it, but I got it. Um, again, it's back to what you said. We started that. Right. And and that, that's the difference. When when you inherit a failed mission, first of all, you got blood on the ground. You got family members killed. You got um, people going to, you know, in the case of uh, David Crest, you're going, he's going to go in Texas. We kill people like that. We execute them. So he was looking at death. Uh, he can stay in there and have, you know, a relationship with little girls and drink all the whiskey he wanted to or come out and die. Right. So that was the problem that was facing the HRT um, at, at Waco. So now, I didn't rant much, guys. I'm sorry. No, no, it's great. No, we appreciate it. No, now, and we'll move on to Waco in just a second, but with Ruby Ridge, like there was a huge fallout or kind of a battle between Louis Free and Janet Reno, right? Between the FBI and the Department of Justice and who was at fault and and. That that was more that was more relative to Waco. Okay, uh, 
that was more the Waco issue because, um, and I wouldn't, I didn't command that. I, they put me out of that. Um, okay, this is going to sound self-serving. I was the most experienced tactical commander in the FBI. I'd done more ops than anybody. And they cut me out of that. Totally cut me out of it. Um, I agree with some of the tactics. I agree with tear gas. Uh, we did a lot of research on tear gas, and I did a lot of it when I was HRT commander, and I've used tear gas a lot. Uh, it's not lethal. It doesn't kill kids. You know, it's it's, it's nasty, but it, it's okay. Um, her problem was the fact that they use those um, APCs to, inj to inject the tear gas, but you know, I mean, you got to remember these guys had fifty caliber rifles and fully automatic weapons. You're not going to walk out there and throw a grenade in there. I mean, you need armor to get it in. Right. Uh, her big complaint was that they drove the tanks inside the building, and I wasn't there. So I, I'll have to let that one go. It wasn't my decision. So, uh, so we'll talk about Waco in just a second because I know that even though you weren't commanding, you still had, you know, you, you like you you knew people involved and in, in whatnot. And no, I was the night commander. I yeah. ran the night shift. So. Yeah. Um, so with Ruby Ridge, that, that was that when, uh, Louis Free came out and actually named you guys like in the media and basically prosecuted you in the no, media? No, okay. not, not until months, months, months later. Right. He didn't come out in the newspapers until after I commanded, uh, Oklahoma. Okay. So, I mean, I, I had, I had, um, I was the deputy at the time and then they promoted me. Um, actually, a lateral to be a commander of the Baltimore, uh, Baltimore division. I had Maryland and Delaware, and I had that for 13 months. And then they sent me to Dallas, and I commanded the Oklahoma bombing. It was after all that that he came out with his big revelation right. that all these wrong. Um, and that was frankly, he succumbed to the pressure from not Reno. I think Reno was on my side. Okay. It was Jamie Gorella. She's the one that did, didn't like the FBI, didn't like me. Um, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story about that. I got When I was the deputy, I got called, uh, the director called me and said, Danny, the attorney general wants to meet with you. And I thought, oh, crap, here it goes. So I went over to the uh, attorney general's conference room, and I took um, I, actually one of my unit chiefs who was the intel officer for the HRD, so I had good company. And we sat down, and uh, Janet came in with Jamie Gorelick, and Jamie looked at me and said, I want you to immediately open up terrorism investigations on every abortion clinic protester in the country. And she looked at me like, you know, go do it. And I said, I'm not doing that. That's against the law. Yeah. We have a constitution. It's called the First Amendment. And you don't open up criminal cases for exercising the First Amendment. And more importantly, it violates her guidelines. I pointed to Janet. The guidelines, the attorney general say, I cannot do that. Mm -hmm. And I turned to my uh, um, one of my supervisors uh, who worked for me, Horace Muburn, and he said, General, he's absolutely right. We can't do that. You're asking us to commit violations of the law. And then, fortunately, there was a woman in the department named Mary Lawton, a really brilliant woman. She, she ran the office of the legal counsel. And she piped up and she said, uh, General, Danny's right. You can't do that. That's against the law to do that. Well, I was not very popular for reminding the Attorney General what the law was. <laughs> and I think I, I think that played a lot in the decision by Jamie to get back at us and me uh -huh. for saying, hey, we're not doing that. Wow. And that's I, I don't think that I don't I don't think that even I don't think we put that in the book even. 
so but that's well known. It's absolutely one hundred percent true. And um, I, I, I really do believe. I don't sound corny here, but um, the Constitution is the thing that keeps us free, without mm -hmm. any doubt. Um, fortunately, we have a Supreme Court um, and a court system that sometimes upholds the Constitution, and sometimes not. But um, I, I, I think the Constitution is the closest thing to a religious document we have outside of the Holy Bible. And I, I really do believe in that. And it keeps, it keeps us honest. It keeps us as agents honest. And it protects us from this government. And for me to say, okay, because you're telling me to, I'm going to open up a case in this I'm not doing that. Right. It's just not. Right. Right. And, uh, that was that was pretty that was a pretty meaningful experience. Yeah. Well, and we we actually talked about that on the last show. That one of the reasons that not only your tactical experience, but one of the reasons you were picked for the head of the HRT was because you are an attorney, and they wanted to ensure that this wasn't just yeah. a, a group of jackboots, but but run by somebody who knew the laws, who followed the laws, who respected the laws, and followed them. I, I, there's no doubt that was true. Um, but I took Webster to confirmation. Uh, I worked with him almost every day. And I'm a terrible lawyer. I'm not very good at it, although I have a pretty significant legal practice now. But um, I, that is the reason I was picked. And I think, I think that that whole dedication to the Constitution still permeates that team to this very moment. They, that's the way they operate to this very day. And a lot of what we did then uh, I'm very happy with the fact that that continued. They they look on themselves as cops. Um, now they're deadly eyes. I will tell you, you know they are. Mm -hmm. um, they have the same capability as SEAL Team and Delta, and they have the same skills. I, I think we're a little better at a couple of things. Um, they're they're better than us a lot, but um, they're 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 deadly people. But they believe in the Constitution. And I think that's 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 kind of a team we need in our country. Right. So then, so Ruby Rich happens. There aren't there aren't immediate repercussions, right? You you go yeah. on and and Waco happens in what ninety three. Uh, now, I mean, first off, the World Trade Center uh, mm. happens, and can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I, I didn't do that. Um, that was done um, by the other side of the house. I was in the criminal division. That was done by the FCI division because they had terrorism. I mean, I know a lot about it. You know, I know what happened, but. Um, I, I did not, because I was doing a bunch of other things that, uh, right. and that's one of the nice things about the FBI. They can do, they can do 50 major cases at the same time. Um, it's not like a single uh, function or single purpose agency. They can do a lot of things. And um, so, I mean, I know about it. I was there when it happened, but was I, did I help solve it? Oh, hell no. No, I did not. And, and then. Uh, city. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, yeah, I mean, you were part of OK City. You were part of that investigation. We talked about the last time, right? No, I commanded that. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, and then Waco happens, and you're, you haven't been like, re, like censured yet, put on leave yet, right? You're still with the FBI full time when Waco happens. And, and one of your friends, I was at headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. And what, I was the number, I was three down the chain of command from the director. There's a director, the deputy director, assistant director, and me. Um, when uh, the director picked up his phone, his desk, it rang on my desk. Because I had every terrorism investigation in the world and every violent crime investigation in the world. It was, it was kind of goofy. He'd pick up the, I, I, you know, the phone and ring, I'd pick it up. He'd call me here. It certainly wasn't you calling me. It was the director calling me. 
And he'd say, Dan, this is your director. I went, oh, no shit. <laughs> and he would say, uh, how's that case going in Phoenix? I had like 20,000 cases. And he'd ask me about a case in Phoenix. And I'd go, oh, crap. Um, you want to give me a clue? And he'd give me a clue. And I'd, fi- and I'd figure it out sooner or later. And so I guess I got you on that one. Yeah, he did. So, I mean, I had a pretty big job. Yeah. Um, keeping him off everybody's back was the biggest part of the problem. Now, Waco was a similar situation for HRT in the sense that it was inheriting a failed bomb. Yeah, absolutely. So, with Waco... Great comprehension. With, with, with Waco, the ATF wanted to arrest David Koresh, but instead of, like you said, instead of just picking him up at the Dairy Queen that he went to every day, mm-hmm. they decided they had to arrest, they had to do a raid. Oh, sorry, guys. Yeah. I just lost it. Oh, yes, sir. Just oh, turned yeah. the camera okay. off. That's all, Danny. Yeah. We, we lost your video, Danny, but we can hear you, I think. Okay, you hear me good. Yeah. Um, yes, it was a failed mission. Uh, they were trying to make a grandstand play, um, I believe, and their agents would say that. And their, let me tell you, this is important. Their agents, they had a terrible plan, the worst plan I've ever seen tactically. But they fought. They didn't give up. They didn't cry. They didn't run away. They, they fought like hell. And I got to give him a lot of credit for that. One of my very good friends, Bill Buford, right. who did CSA with me, he was wounded there. He's one of the agents shot off the roof. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the ATF, so it goes awry. And what happened in the initial, like, arrest attempt or siege or, or assault by ATF? Okay. They, uh, they showed up there in, uh, I believe, two cattle cars. They loaded all their agents in cattle cars and pulled up out front. That's a bad tactical decision. I mean, if you think about it, if Koresh had been very good, he killed every one of them. He would have killed every single ATF agent there. And by the grace of God, he did not. Um, so they, they, got a, uh, they got a ceasefire, and ATF withdrew and immediately called us. It's like, oh, crap. Here we go again. Um, I was called up to the uh, um, executive assistant director's office, and I said, let me go do this. No, they, they, they didn't. They brought in other people to do it for reasons I don't know. Um, they had uh, Woody Johnson, who was w- probably one of the very best commanders HRT ever had. Um, he'd left the team. He, was, he took my place, and he'd left, and he's at headquarters, too. They didn't use him. They totally ignored us. And let people who've never done one go do it. That was kind of a, well, whatever it is, what it is. And, and what, what were the results of that? So with, with Waco, w- was the HRT ever the direct assault or were they in support of the ATF the whole time? No, no, we had nothing to do with it. Um, that was a total turnover. Uh, they they withdrew and they gave it to us and said, "Here you got it." Like, you know, here's this hot potato. Here's a big bag of shit. We got a bunch of dead people, and now it's yours. And um, you know, it is what it is. And it's um, again, Charlie Beckwith um, is you know he's brilliant. He was a brilliant commander, and his assessment of that was spot on. It was the best. Uh, much to my dismay, it was horrible. You know, I, I still think about that to this day. I mean, I, I've recovered over 300 hostages in my career, 
And that's not really true. I didn't. My men did. I was just the boss. And I keep thinking, what the hell? That's that's terrible. We have this really superlative team. We have all the assets in the world, and another group runs in there and creates this debacle, and they give it to us. Mm-hmm. And that makes me really angry. What really makes me angry is that they took very brave ATF agents and put them in harm's way. And if you remember what the name of the book is, No Heroes. The reason I picked that name is because I think a commander can expect his people to be like you do, to be brave. But if, if the plan is so bad that you have to become a hero to make it good, people die. Mm-hmm. So heroes, that means people are going to die. I mean, the, the, the HRT is like a machine. You, you know that. It's just so efficient. And we don't kill that many people. And we don't get our people killed. Mm-hmm. They're just that efficient because they're the best planners in the world. And they have the most assets. And you got these guys coming there like um, cowboys at the direction of their leadership. And those are good men and women. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for those men and women. Even to this day, I work with them now. And for those fools to put them into that position, mm-hmm. is, I think it's criminal. I think it's criminal negligence on their part. And there was no way that would have been successful. I'll, I'll tell you an anecdote. Um, ATF put out a press release. We didn't know that they had 50 caliber rifles in there. That's not true. It was in their warrant. Their warrant was going to seize the 50 caliber rifles. We know that. Um, another thing you should know, too, is they didn't even have a picture of David Koresh. Wow. So, again, the agents were were... Good people, really good, strong people. I would put my life in their hands in a second, but their leadership was horrible. Yeah, this whole thing was a setup from failure from the beginning. Had no chance. There is no way that had any chance. You know what? I, did? I don't understand. Why didn't they call us mm-hmm. and say we done CSA? That was the that was much bigger than Crash, much mm-hmm. bigger, and we pulled it off. Nobody got hurt. Right. Uh, I think. If you guys fell over a barbed wire fence or something, got hurt. <sighs> Nothing where you know you're getting hit with a fifty or something, right? So you know, call us. You know, but again, and, and it's the uh, petty jealousies that permeate our government. Yeah, and that again, those those are the things that stand out. Is the difference between how the FBI, how the HRT is viewed by the public and and by and and sort of displayed by the media. That Waco and Ruby Ridge still hangs when, over the when unit. they inherit an, when they inherit an operation like that compared to you know I had never heard about your siege on CSA and uh, and and these and these you know these other events that happened when the HRT has it from the beginning they surround a, a, an area really with overwhelming force but you do every single thing in your power to even flying people in from other states to come in and speak with, you know, the person inside people they respect. Um, When you, when the, when the control started with you, um, you know, you didn't see these, these sort of outcome. No, no. Well, you know what? Um, The FBI has a great crisis management program. Every commander in the FBI goes through that. It's not like when I was HRT commander and I go see a an SAC someplace. He didn't know who the hell I was. He knew what we did mm-hmm. and what our limitations were. He knew that I was a 
you know, I was like a colonel position at that time. And um, we train. That's what we do. We train all the time. HRT trains every day. Mm-hmm. Every day they're on an op or they're, tra- they're training or researching. That's all they think about. That's all they do. And frankly, our SACs are the same. One thing that came out of, of um, Waco, maybe the only thing that was any good, is that free selected who we believe are the best commanders in the FBI. I think there were nine of us. And um, maybe I was by default. I probably wasn't the best, but I was, I was in it. And when Oklahoma went down, so he called. Weldon Kennedy, Danny Colson, Bob Ricks. That's who he sent. And we all knew each other. We liked each other. We're all commanders together. And that was like a well-loaded machine. I went up there. Uh, when I walked in, uh, I went to see Ricks. He said, okay, walk around, take a look. Tell me what you do next. So I looked at what he had, and Bob Ricks is a great commander. He's a super guy. And I came, I came back and said, this is, this is pretty damn big. Why don't you take over the, all the investigation? I'll take over the crime scene. The crime scene was, as you can know, it was enormous. Mm-hmm. And so I was responsible for the crime scene, the recovery of the, of the evidence, and, of course, the recovery of the bodies. I, that was my job, too, and the morgue and that kind of And then, of course, when we identified McVeigh, they sent me to get him. So, um, anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say here, not very artfully, is that we knew what we were doing. I, I went back to the Oklahoma Bombing Museum this last year. Um, a TV crew came to me and asked me to do it. And I said, hell no, I'm going to go back there. And so they went to my wife, who, you know, is real power in my house. <laughs> and they convinced Debbie. And so we went back. And um, Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. We, we shot a, a, a TV show there, which won an Emmy, by the way. And um, they interviewed me with the museum people. Uh-huh. And they, they said, when you walked into this place and you saw it, was it overwhelming? I said, no, not at all. That's what we do for a living. This is what we're trained to do. If you asked me to land a 747, I'd be pretty much overwhelmed, but I'm not overwhelmed by that. So I guess the point I'm trying to make not very well again is that that's what we do. And we're trained to do it. And um, now I was just proud to be a part of it. The best commander I ever worked for was Wilson Kennedy. He and, I also, he and I also did the Atlanta prison ride together. Uh-huh. You know, and you kind of covered this briefly, uh, but but I don't want it to sort of escape our viewers. What exactly happened to you as a result of Ruby Ridge? Because essentially, at a certain point in time, whether it was Louis Free's idea or he was caving to pressure from somewhere or other, but the reason you had all the death threats, the reason you lost the loan on your house that you guys had been building, all that stuff was because you were publicly outed by Free and by the FBI um, and released. And even though he had a legal obligation to tell you what charges you were facing or why they were you know, uh, putting you on leave, they didn't tell you anything because they actually didn't have anything. They just used you that, as a scapegoat. That, that's 100% correct. They did not. Um, you know, and also, if he wanted to put us on leave, there's nothing said he had to go to the New York Times and tell them about it. 
Right. We didn't have to go to CBS News and tell them about it. Um, you know, I'm a big boy. I can I can put up with a lot of stuff and have, but um, don't hang my family out, which they did. Right. Uh, my family was at great risk. I mean, that was that was not that was not a joke. And I think that he made a huge mistake when he did that. I think he didn't have the guts to stand up to the pressure. But you know what? I mean, good Lord, fast forward, James Comey, he didn't have the guts to stand up to Hillary Clinton. He let right. her off the hook. So that's not uncommon in D.C. that, you know, you just hope your commanders are strong enough to stand up to pressure. And of course, in this case, Louis wasn't. By the way, um, let me say this. You know, Louis was involved in a very terrible automobile accident. And I sat down and hand-wrote him a letter saying, well, we have had differences of opinion in the past. I want you to know I'm praying for your recovery. I hope you're okay. And um, I think that was important for me to do that because I was really angry at him for a long time. And I think that um, in my religion, we believe in forgiveness. And um, um, I, I certainly believe in it. I think that helped me move on. By writing him that I had it, I had it hand delivered to him, as a matter of fact, and he sent me a very nice response to it. So that's done, it's over. Um, I don't think he performed the way he should, but um, you know, well, you're you're a bigger, you're a bigger man than I am because I don't think I would have ever been able to do Danny. That. Could you uh turn your camera back on if uh, yes. yeah, I think we're having a little bit of trouble with uh, with yeah. electricity. Would it be okay if I switched devices and redid this? Would that um, okay if we take a break? We'll do that. We'll probably just roll through it. Yeah, I think we'll roll through it. it. We'll switch devices before the bonus segment. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry about that. I, you know. No, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it at all. So, Look, I'm in the business of catching terrorists and blowing crap up. I'm not electronics. Yeah, no, trust uh, anybody who's been with our show for any amount of time knows neither are we. So, um, <laughs> yeah, your, your show looks great. Well, we have a producer now, so we got D back there. <laughs> um, but I, that that was one of the things that, and and Jack and I see this in the military. Uh, with the military, often is when they are bowing to political pressure and looking for a mm. scapegoat, or you know, denying somebody something. Um, for whatever reason they choose to die on, like with Justin and, and the promotion or, or whatever. But it was really just so disheartening while I was reading your book to read of this stellar career, this incredible career, and then in, in, in an event where you're not even on scene and, and don't, have physical like hands-on control of the situation that that you get named specifically by the director of the CIA or CIA, I'm sorry by the director of the FBI and to to a group of people who believe that the FBI was guilty of murder that they were guilty right. of cover up that they were guilty of these things that they saw Randy Weaver as a patriot and, and as, you know, as, you know, all these things. And that now he, he basically puts a laser on you and points all these people in your direction. Well, um, if it's bad to live, to read it, you ought to live it. Uh, um, I that, I, that was, that was hard for me. I, I've missed my life a lot for the Bureau and I didn't expect to live, you know, even this long. But to do what they did 
to my family, and right. also not just me, but to Larry Poss and Dale Evans, uh, uh, Gene Evans, and other agents, Michael Cahill, they put all of us on leave. Larry Potts was the deputy director, and the best deputy director in the history of the FBI. He lost. He lost his. You know, he he did the same thing. Yeah. As soon as he was exonerated, told him goodbye. Yeah. And that's a lot of time to lose. And it's it's really it's it's kind of a shame. But you know what? I think that probably taught me a lot. I mean, um, you know, the FBI is is my career. It's my life. The HRT is my life. But you know what? Uh, I learned that there's other things other than that. And the most important thing was my family, my wife, my faith. Right. And that me through this. I had a wife that absolutely 100% stood up for me and still does this day. She has very bad taste in men, but that's <laughs> good for me. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think I'm a better person today for having endured that. And it's okay. Um, you know, I got to it, and um, I'll tell you what's interesting. Right in the middle of it, the PGA Tour recruited me to take care of Tiger Woods, so they didn't buy it. Yeah, yeah. But but while that's happening, though, you also have, like, your lender, like you said, your lender going, because the FBI, Louis Free, didn't just put you guys on administrative leave. He went to the media and named you guys as... These are the people who were holding responsible. Blame things. them, not me. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. But again, you know, how many good leaders are there out there, guys? Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of guys are running to the teeth of the tiger, but they can't deal with a politician. Did you know that in Portland yesterday, they indicted one of the policemen involved in the riots? Did you know that? Mm-mm. No. He's one of the tactical guys that protects the city of Portland. There was a woman there masquerading i think as a media member of the media and in the melee she gets knocked down she gets whacked on the helmet with a baton they charged him with a felony right wow. give me a break i mean that's 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 worse than what happened to me they tried to charge me with a felony couldn't come up with one they actually beat them but this poor officer now has got to go through that he's got to defend himself and spend you know a lot of money and and the heart ache of him trying to serve the public and risking his life, and they indict him. That's just the same. That's yeah. that's worse than me. Let's uh, take some viewer questions because we have a whole bunch of them here. Um, oh, okay, you'll you'll love this one, Danny uh, Lassick asks: Did you know that Tiger Woods was having affairs? <laughs> no. <laughs> Jerry says, what do you think about the rivalry between FBI, DEA, police, Homeland Security, secret police, maybe mean secret service, um, I guess rivalry between different federal um, agencies and bureaus? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's really overblown. Um, I think that's more of a media thing and a, and a bunch of BS. Um, I've done operations with every one of the agencies you just, remember, just mentioned Um Remember when we commanded the Oklahoma bombing, ATF was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's more of a, um, uh, a rivalry at the headquarters level and not at the cop mm-hmm. street mm-hmm. level that I was at. Um, I have a great deal of respect for all those agencies. My business partner was a Secret Service agent. Um, I trained the Secret Service CAT teams um, uh, in, executive, in a close quarter battle. We worked together a lot. I, I accompanied the 
Secret Service uh, on missions protecting Reagan. And I think that's way overblown. There's some of it, but it's, it's not at the level of the grunts like me. It's at the level of, you know, assistant directors and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank the, you. The Barracks says, Mr. Colson, respect from Canada. I'm a devout Christian myself, and I have hopes to go into Tier 1 elements, intelligence, uh, but wonder if I should be cautious morally of any of our agencies, if you have any thoughts on that. Um, no, I mean, I, I do I have thoughts? Yeah, thoughts, yes. You know what? They're not inconsistent. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, how can you have such a violent life and be a Christian? And you know what I tell them? In the... In the in, um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the, um, the servants uh, came to get Jesus and he was betrayed, if you remember, there was a man there named Peter who pulled out a sword and cut off that guy's ear. And he was working with Jesus every day. He didn't have that sword to peel peaches with. He had, he had that sword to protect the Savior. And I, I think we tend to forget that, 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 you can have a violent capability and still be in the, in the services, the deadly arts that we are in. So they're not in a strong faith. I will tell you, I had an agent on the HRT, Larry Bonnie. He left the FBI to become a minister, was a minister, left the ministry and came back with your HRT selection. Wow. He was our kind of our chaplain, but he was also a deadly killer. That was tough. So it's not inconsistent to have both those, both those uh, things going through your head. Andrew asks, uh, he says, can Danny talk about a figure in the OK City case, Andreas Strassmeyer, Andy the German? I understand there are a lot of conspiracies about the guy, but some of the details about him are extremely weird. He was the son of Helmut Kohl's chief of staff. He was a far-right extremist, had also lived on a kibbutz and was fluent in Hebrew and a veteran of German military intelligence. So... What the hell was a guy like that doing hanging around Elohim City? Okay, that's a great that's a great question. We touched on that in the book a little bit. Um, Strassmeyer, there's a, he's a mystery character. Um, some people believe he was working for the Israelis. Uh, some people believe he was working for the Germans. And here's one theory. I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to this, but it's a theory. And that is that we were not serving well the German government in dealing with their neo-Nazi problem over there, because we have it here too. And they were upset with us because we didn't give them any, much information. And the reason we didn't give them much, we didn't have much. Um, the Attorney General guidelines for the FBI on domestic terrorism are very limited. So frankly, it's almost to the point of committing a crime before you can ever even open a case. So that one of the theories is that he may have been the instigation of McVeigh to blow off the Murrah building to, to raise the consciousness level of neo-Nazis. I, I, I'm not saying I subscribe to that, but that's that's one of the theories. And he was um, he was at Elohim City. Um, we know that. Uh, we know McVeigh was there when he was there. And he was there with a woman named Carolyn Howell. So, yeah, that it, it, uh, I would like to know those answers even more than you, and I'm sure. I... Andrew asks, would it make sense to fold the DEA and ATF into the FBI to prevent turf wars and reduce duplication of services? Um, I think yes. The answer to that is yes. And uh, my DEA friends will hate me for saying that. (laughs) Um, uh, I I will tell you, ATF should definitely be rolled into the FBI, uh, I believe. Um, 
I like ETF agents. We could just bring them in, you know, train them differently and roll it in and get rid of it. There's no reason to have two agencies do exactly the same thing. Um, DEA, there was a, there was a, uh, a proposal in Congress to merge DEA and the FBI, and it never happened. I think that's fine. And we don't need to be together. Um, but ATF, yes, they should be with us. Danny, out of, I like, oh, I like that. Danny, out of curiosity, um, you know, when you say that they're kind of that they have sort of redundant functions in some ways, how are they trained differently? Because you say we could roll ATF agents in, but train them a different way. Like, how are DEA agents and ATF agents trained differently than FBI agents? Um, I don't want to say FBI hurt uh, HRT because we know that there, there's a world of difference. <laughs> there's a world of difference there. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I think it's more, not that we're better. Um, I think just different procedures. We work differently. We have a different organizational structure. We work differently. Uh, we emphasize different things. And plus, ATF agents don't have any idea what our jurisdictions are. They do guns, and we do a million other things. So mm-hmm. when I say bring them in and train them, I mean, get them up to speed in white-collar crime and counterterrorism, um, you know, all, okay, all the things we do. Just train them so they work like we do. And so they write like we do. So when they sit down to write a document, they know how to write it. And that wasn't being um, the meaning of ATF sure. at all. We just put them under the same... Under the same score, under the same sheet of music. Danny, uh, out of curiosity, you know, when when Ruby Ridge and the Twenty One Marshals happened, when when Waco and the ATF agents happened, did did those do the marshals and do the ATF, whether they're trained to the le- same level or not, do they have a HRT or SWAT capability, or were they yeah, just? It's, were they it's just, not a. I mean, you know, there's only three. Um, Three counterterrorist teams certified in the, in the nation. And Delta SEAL team and us, we had to go through a certification process to be certified. Um, they, they have some good guys. They're like SWAT teams. Uh, the HRT is nothing like a SWAT team. You know that. Right. Um, so uh, they have different different capabilities. Um, I used the marshals big time when I commanded the Atlanta prison line. They had one whole sector that uh, really worked for me, and they were great. They did a great job. Um but the HRT has skill levels that go way, way beyond that. And so we're not better; we're just different. So when they sent in the marshals into Ruby Ridge, and when they sent in the ATF, they weren't—they weren't sending in, for instance, their equivalent to HRT. Were they just kind of putting agents on the ground or marshals on the ground and saying, "You guys who haven't really worked together in a tactical environment like this." Go do go accomplish this thing. I think the answer to that is two things. I think some of them were dedicated teams because they brought in. I know that a lot of the guys at Waco were from uh, New Orleans, okay, and that was a team. So I think they had a lot of individually dedicated teams. But I think the difference is is that FBI is bigger things, right? I mean, um, and, and, and that sounds very self serving and very arrogant. I don't mean it to be. But we just have a different mission. I mean, we go overseas and snatch terrorists, for God's sakes. Right. So the people, a lot of these really bad people you see and they're apprehended by government agents, that's the HRT doing that. And by the way, half the time when you see a Delta or SEAL team mission, HRT's there too, almost every time. 
Um, so they do a lot of international things. They have deployment capabilities that nobody else has other than the, the, you know, the, the Navy and, their, and the Army. So it's just a different way of looking at the world. And um, individually, I'm sure there's a lot of guys in ATF and the Marshall Zone, they could go through selection and pass. Uh, they can't go through selection because they're not FBI guys, right. but individually they could, they could do it. Right. And uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get the impression here that I'm demeaning anybody. We're just different. Right. And different missions, different goals. Um, I tell you, when I was a security director of the PGA Tour, I used ATF all the time. They worked with me every tournament I did. And I loved having them there. They kept me safe and my players safe. They're really good. Yeah. It's just a mission. On, on, on that note, uh, Danny, uh, Jackson asks, the HRT is deployed with JSOC units as assaulters to the Middle East, North Africa for close to 20 years now. Do you ever foresee them taking such a role in an active war zone? Additionally, do you think this uh, took their capabilities to an even higher level than before? Well, they've been there. They've been in Iraq. They've been in Afghanistan. They deploy over there now. They um, they deployed in some of the most, uh, I can't say the name, but if you think of the most high-value target we've taken out, they did. They were there. Um, there was one situation in uh, Afghanistan where an HRT team was deployed with um, Army Rangers on an apprehension. No shit. And they got, they got hit. And the two HRT guys got to high ground and killed a boatload of terrorists. I mean, they're they're, they're pretty good, and so they're they're all over. I know one of the one of the commanders to HRT was hit with a grenade frag, in I think Afghanistan. So they're over there now. Yeah, they're and this moment. There. And, and I think for people asking why would HRT be in those situations, I, a lot of times it comes down to detention authority. Is that correct? Where where uh, a Delta team or a Ranger team or a SEAL team can't. Like they can kill or they could capture, for instance, in a POW sense, but they can't arrest. They don't have a legal chain of custody, things like that. If it, the person is under some sort of criminal indictment here in the United States, that that's that's true. And there's something else to it too. Okay, is that we're intel officers too? Remember that. Okay. And when they're grabbing intel, they want an HRT guy there to do it for chain of custody because they're just better at it. Right. And. Also, if I'm going to go someplace really bad, I want one of those HRT guys here. You know who loved the HRT? Barack Obama. He loved our team. And uh, I don't know if that's a, an indictment or a compliment, yeah. but however you look at it, he loved that team because they're so successful. They, you know, they, they got painted with the Waco brush, but they've done, a, they've rescued probably 500 hostages. I've rescued 300. Yeah. And I know they a lot more than me so they have, they have a very successful and um, they're, they're, they're super low profile too yeah. like very oh, rarely yeah. do you hear about hrt but yeah. i mean i guess that's preferred they're staying out of trouble and yeah doing right. the right thing right? right well no it is and i think um beckwith said something to me he said danny keep your mystique don't <laughs> people don't let people know who the hell you are and um, I think that's where they function. They've done some amazing things. I mean, just, I mean, I, I know a lot about rescue and hostages and all that stuff. And some of it, I can't even believe they did. It's just amazing. They do great things. They have great technology. Um, I tell you what's really funny to me. I go back to the academy every now and then and spend some time with them. And we'll be back there. And, and um, I'll see some guy sitting there nursing a the baby with a bottle. 
and I, I knew who he is. He's one of the most deadly killers on the planet. <laughs> and they're feeding the baby bottles to one of his kids. And um, they're very, very, they're very low key. They're very, they're crazily fat. HRT selection is horrible. Um, but they're just, they're, it's different. Um, when I went, the last time I went back there, I took my granddaughter with me. And because she had a name tag on her name, the same as mine. And one of the operators said, Colson, Alpha One Colson. She said, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and she did, but they like children. They, they're big family guys. Um, they, unfortunately, we spend a lot of time away from our families, or yeah. did. And um, they're, kind of, they're kind of people you glad on your side. Yeah. Uh, it, Jackson asked a question about selection. He says, What's the most brutal aspect of HRT selection? Is it the dog run? the pool phase, or just the collective process altogether? All of it. It's horrible. I mean, it's, it, they taste every phobia you've ever had. Uh, if you've got one, we're going to find it. <laughs> um, we, we would take guys and put them in tubes underneath the, uh, underneath the gym uh, with nothing and leave them there for a couple hours. Uh, if you got claustrophobia, you're kind of screwed. Uh, we, t- we test everything. Aquaphobia. Uh, whether or not heights scare you. Um, and I think the total, and also people don't really understand this. They do a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give them research projects and have them go do it because a lot of what we do is research oriented. And if they fail the research project, they didn't get on the team. They left. Mm-hmm. They were gone. Um, we'd get them up to a lot of sleep deprivation, a lot of just really boring crap. We made them do to see if they would do it. Um, um, but I think it's the, I, mean, I went through. I went through the course, um, and it's 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 hard. Um, for me, the hardest part was water. Um, we have a maritime capability, and I, 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 a lot of it's kind of easy for me. The firearms, especially, was easy. Uh, and I'm, you know, I've got such short arms, I can do pull-ups all day. So that was pretty easy. Um, but the water for me was horrible. I mean, yeah. it was it was really bad. Um, of course, you know, of course, we have a lot of Navy SEALs on the HRT. So, you know, they were helpful. But uh, I th- so to me, the water thing was by far the hardest. You know, Danny, it's funny because you talk about phobias and they'll test every phobia. And I think the number one phobia in the United States is public speaking. And one of the things you guys actually do in your selection is make each, you know, trainee do a press conference. They do, yes. And, and you know what? That scared the hell out of a lot of them. I mean, that, they did not like that one bit. Um, of course, it's, it's easy for me. I'm a lawyer, so I can just talk all day and say, oh. but um, for this, for someone, it was hard. And, you know, a lot of our guys, by the way, that leave the HRT become very high ranking executives um, in the FBI. And we've had two deputy directors be HRT operators. Uh, Charlie Prouty was a SEAL, worked for me. And, and um, one other, uh, he also worked for me, by the way. And uh, I, I think it gives them a very, first of all, it gives them, that one thing, absolute total confidence. They're yeah. not afraid of much. And I think that's what you need in leadership. They, they go on, when they leave the, the, um, the, the bureau, they get they're very successful in private industry. They do a really good job there, too. Uh, Jackson asks, uh, he says, Chris Whitcomb said that following Waco, HRT was forced to take an OCONUS approach, i.e. renditions. He said that they were the nation's premier unit for high-value target snatch and grabs ahead of SEAL Team 6 and Delta. How true is that statement? I think, uh, I think Chris is kind of a little bit 
exaggerating there. It had nothing to do with the Waco. Um, we do a lot of snatch and grabs. Um, I did them. Um, um, the people that, that um, I'm trying to think they did. Oh, the Benghazi people, they were all snatched by the HRT. Um, he's right about that. They do a lot of snatch and grabs. So they're good at it. And they also remember um, a lot of the snatch and grabs that they did um, were uh, associated with the agency because they worked very closely with the CIA. They got, who they get? Fawaz Yunus was snatched off a sailboat um, in the Mediterranean by the HRT. Oh, no shit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do a lot of those, yeah. Uh, Jackson also wa- says, what impressed or impresses you the most about modern HRT? Any operations or people that really stand out? Oh, yeah. They did the kid in the bunker, the boy in the bunker. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. the terrorist or the crazy guy. He, uh, he kidnapped a little boy off the bus, if you remember that. Yep. Put him in that bunk. And I have seen the video. They they called me back to the academy to look at that. And um, that's the most amaz- amazing rescue I've ever seen in my entire life, what they did there. And that that agent that dove into that bunker when that guy was shooting hundreds of rounds at him um, and rescued that little boy, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, and that was a multi-phase because the bunker, it was secured, right, um, by, uh, it, it was secured, and they had to do, like, a multiple sort of multi-stage well, breach. The first breach point failed. Yes, right. you're right. Um, they blew the hatch off, but he had taken the bicycle cabling and uh, attached it all over this um, uh, hatch. And so they had the hats blue, but the cable stayed on. They couldn't get in. So the video, you can actually see the operator that's getting ready to dive in there. And he's walking back and forth, getting ready to go in. And there, and he's shooting. He's got, a, I think, a nine millimeter thing. And he's firing at them. Of course, he didn't have a good angle, but still, he's got a lot of rounds coming. And um, um, once they got it clipped, um, three of them dove in there and they killed the guy. And, uh, the one guy that got the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor, a freedom, I think, um, he uh, he uh, got to the little boy and, and covered the little boy up and uh, prevented him from getting shot. So that was amazing. So that, amazing. That was amazing. I, I got to follow a uh, Freedom of Information Act request to try to get the video now. Uh, oh, you should. It's amazing. I, they call me in to look at it. I'm thinking, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah, yeah. Could- That'd be an amazing Team House exclusive, huh, for our Patreon viewers. Uh, AJ Gamble says uh, thoughts on Chipman being nominated as head of ATF given your intimate knowledge of his background uh, that would be great to hear he has no business being the director of ATF Um, forget his background if you watch his testimony he's the slipperiest guy I've ever seen testify Yeah, Uh, did a miserable job I'll I'll tell it to his face Um, he's also very much anti-gun he was involved in uh, the Waco thing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of ATF's uh, regulatory function. Put it this way. You cannot have a machine gun because it's so horrible. But, oh, by the way, give me 200 bucks and you can. Right. Um, now they're going after um, uh, pistol braces. And they're so horrible that nobody should ever have one unless you give me 200 bucks. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Where's where the where's the logic behind that? Um, I mean, I, by the way, I have an AR pistol. And I keep it in my car because people try to kill me periodically. Yeah. And I, I keep it there. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know what will happen if they finally outlaw them. I guess I'll make a switch or something. But that didn't make any sense to me. All, all of a sudden, eight is going to create about, what, 100 million felons because they relied on ATF's representations from the other felons. That makes sense to me. Right. And and I think that's the challenging thing. If, if you're getting somebody who is the head of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, if they cannot uh, if, if they cannot tell you what an automatic weapon or a, or a semi-automatic weapon is or whatever, or an assault rifle is, I guess. Yeah, that's what it was. It was an assault rifle, rifle. right. Probably the wrong job. Then they're probably not the right person. Whether whether they think the law should be curtailed or, or whatever, if they can't even define it, then they might not be the right person yeah, for the yeah. job. Well, um, again, um, I would not have that job. Um uh, first of all, I'm too successful in the private industry. Right. Number one, but number two, um, I would dramatically change what they did. I would focus on criminal conduct and not on implements. That's right. crazy. Right. And uh, the implements are terrible unless you pay me. So right. how terrible are they? Right. So right. That's my. Right. Uh, Jackson uh, asks, can, can you elaborate on Obama loving HRT? Like, I guess, uh, talk a little bit about more why that was, why he, he was in love with you guys. Um, oh, I can't a little, a little bit, but some of the stuff that I know about it has to be very classified. Mm-hmm. But I know that on certain operations that you're very familiar with, um, he insisted the HRT go. Because he had confidence in their planning ability. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm, by the way, I did not vote for him at the time. I voted for somebody else both times. So I'm not a fan of his. And I guess he's a fan of my team anyway. But um, they, they're just for, there are a lot of things they do that you never know about. Mm-hmm. Even a lot of them I don't know about. And um, he was happy with what they did, how they performed. And um, he liked to have them there. He, he likes them to deploy in the company of SEAL Team and Delta. Mm-hmm. And by the way, they train together every day. I mean, they're like, they're like you know, joined at the hip. They're very close to each other. They do the research together. They have very close associations with each other. So it's good they work together. Uh, not Zeus Titan says, tell Danny Jacob from Nevada is tuning in as well. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. Okay, thank you. All right, That's so good. you know who it is. Uh, yeah. Well, Classic says, uh, neo-Nazism has gone through a rebranding thanks to uh, Suits the Internet. Um, Now QAnon, could this get worse than what happened at the Capitol and other places? I guess he's talking about the the new breed of neo-Nazism or right-wing extremism. Um, Do do you see it getting worse than January 6th? Uh, Possibly. Mm I think a lot of that has to do with how we deal with it. Um, I, don't, I, I don't see QAnon as, as nearly the threat that Antifa is. Um, I know, I know these, these goofy political hacks uh, talk about the insurrection. By any definition, the thing that happened in the Capitol was not an insurrection. I know how to do insurrections. I know a lot about insurrections. That wasn't an insurrection. That was a, that was a very... Um, it was a um, demonstration that got out and got into uh, to, um, almost a riot situation, and it was exacerbated by the poor performance of the Capitol Police. Um, if, if they had done their job up there, that none of that would have happened. I mean, I, there's videos of Capitol Police opening the doors. So 
They were very poorly led. They were very poorly planned, had poor planning. And, but they did some heroic things. It's, again, it's like ATF at Waco. They have good officers. I worked on the hill for a long time. And they did a good job, but they weren't ready. And they weren't ready because of leadership, not because of the officers. Uh, Andrew says, can Danny talk about Terry Nichols' time in Cebu City in the Philippines? A little bit. Um, yes. Um, Nichols, Nichols is a nebbish. I mean, if you think about remember when you used to play football um, and you'd have a guy that couldn't catch the ball and he'd come back to the huddle and say, what do you want me to do? You say, you go long. <laughs> right. well, he, he's a go long guy. And um, he, he just got, he got in with that goofy McVeigh and he was over there looking for a wife. I mean, who goes to the Philippines to look for a wife? I mean, I mean, I'm not saying they don't have pretty women there. They're good. But, you know, you kind of date somebody that's still closer to home. And, um, you know, he, he got what he deserved. Terry Nichols reached out for me several years ago. He wanted me to come interview him about the real story. Well, the FBI had interviewed him about the real story many times. He bullshits him every time. So when I talked to him, I said, I'm not going to talk to you unless the moment I sat down, you tell me something I need to know. If not, I'm working out, walking out. Uh, his family called me. Oh. Uh, they have all these things that he can do good for the government. It's all turned out to be bullshit. And um, I, I just, you know, that, that was a collection of losers. I handled the case on uh, Michael Fortier. And um, we can go into that a little bit if you want. When I went to talk to him, he kept giving me, well, it's a constitution and you don't understand we're at war. I said, I, I, you're not at war. I'd have killed you if we were at war. I'd have <laughs> killed because I got him too. And uh, he told me, he said, well, I'm doing this with the Constitution. I said, okay, Michael, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to indict you under the Constitution. And I'm going to try you under the Constitution. And you're going to go away. And then one day, we're going to come get you out of a cell. We're going to strap your ass to a gurney. We're going to stick a needle in your arm. We're going to kill you under the Constitution. Now, you better pick sides, mine or theirs. Well, guess what? He put mine. And he testified for us. But these guys are a bunch of losers. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, if it weren't for inadequate personalities, I wouldn't have had a job. <laughs> that's, what, that's what most of these guys are. They just can't cut it. Yeah. I mean, they, they cut it. You know, he went through special forces tryout and lasted a day and a half and quit. The I same, mean, what does that tell you about that guy? Same thing with Ed Snow. You got to know what selection's about. You had the guts to do it, and you did it, and he didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the things that we talked about last time, and you mentioned in your book that that a lot of these guys. I mean, you look at like was it like they wish they could be an HRT dude? They wish they could oh, be a special forces. Oh yeah, dude. That, yeah. That when you guys were doing the uh, sort of, I, I don't want to call it when you the standoff uh, or negotiations at the um, CSA CSI. compound that he was totally in respect. Uh, you know, had total respect for you guys, but especially like. Uh, the uh, there was a particular member of yours, I believe, who had been Green Beret or something, and he was like, oh, yeah. this is amazing, you're so cool, and <laughs> the, there was that hero worship element. Yeah, there really was, and we used, I used the heck out of that, too, believe me. <laughs> I mean, you know, use, uh, I had a great negotiator guy named Clint Benzant, and he would play Ellison, and I would be me, and um, we did that, we did that constantly. And one of the things that he pointed out, he said, I have a tendency to use a lot of profanity. I'm terrible about that. 
And he said, Danny, you cannot use profanity. They like to kill people, but they don't use profanity. So when we would negotiate, I'd throw in a couple of son of a bitches or you asshole or something just to upset him. But I had to be very careful because as strange as it seems, they don't use profanity. But our negotiators, it gets back to preparation. Our negotiators told me that. So, was, you know, we actually use that to our advantage. Yeah. Fascinating. I Let's see here. Jackson just wanted to say the bunker rescue video is available online and it's unreal. So I'm going to have to go find that. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. That's good news. And Technic, uh, he says, this is why I'm uh, proud to be a Patreon supporter. Ask Jack to name his price. Price for what, buddy? If you want to join our Patreon, it's only a dollar a month. You'd find the link down in the description <laughs> and get access to our bonus segments. So so my price is very cheap, as yeah. it turns and, out. And honestly, you guys, it, our patrons are the ones who keep us alive. They're the ones who kept the studio going uh, and the, you know, gave us the ability to, to bring people like Danny to Absolutely. you. So you can hear, I mean, these amazing stories, you know, and, and Danny, like your history is, it, it's, it's, oh, so much. it's a history of the FBI in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a, it's a living history. It, yeah. It's a living history. And it's phenomenal. It's just so, and, you know, and I know you don't take credit for a lot, um, but, yeah, again, if, if you guys really honestly want to read it, not only a fascinating personal account, but a really interesting history of the FBI, uh, um, a firsthand history of the FBI. No Heroes is really the book for you. I, you will not be disappointed, I promise. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, you know, again, I had a really good co-writer. Um, I wrote it, and she kind of super-edited it. Um, but the most important thing to remember there is that God blessed me with a lot of adventures. But he blessed me with people better than me to go on them with and kept me from screwing them up. So that's what it's all about. It's, it's not who you are. It's who you know. And that's, you know, that was, the, that was the strength of the HRT. The director said, you can have anybody in the FBI you want. And um, I played that card a lot. <laughs> there were a lot of commanders that didn't want me to have some of their people. And I went to the director and said, you got it. What do you want? And so, you know, I brought good people. And I had a Congressional Medal of Honor winner, for God's sakes, on the HRT, a couple of Silver Star guys. And, and they, were, they had great, great people, really smart people. And um, one of the operators on the HRT, Fran Burke, is a CPA. I mean, they're smart guys. And it's certainly helped a lot smarter than me. And I, you know, I kind of pointed them in the right direction. And said, I'll tell you an interesting story. I'm walking through the command post of Oklahoma. I think that probably on the 21st, maybe. And it's, you know, it's a lot of stuff going on. And this agent, I didn't know, walked up and said, boss, why are you so calm? I said, because I got you. I'm not going to solve this case. You're going to solve it. All I have to do is kind of keep people off your back. And that's where the, that's the way command really works in my business is that I'm not going to solve this stupid-ass case. Um, I'm going to get you the tools to solve it and keep stupid people away from you and, and make a couple of decisions. And that's all it's about. And I was just blessed um, to be in the right place at the right time with the right people and, and probably more blessed to have the right woman with me, which is super important, as you know. I mean, how your wife views what you do is really amazing. Yeah. Uh, very, and, and, and I never worried about anything. You know, I get, I get a plane to fly away to another part of the world. And I, you know, I, I just did it. And I have a great marriage. And when I come back, um, 
um, you know, we we you know we get back together and continue our life, and you know we've continued to this very moment. I mean, I the most important person in my life is my wife, and um, and you know that that's just a blessing. But you got to have the right woman. I'll tell you one story. I had a guy supervisor worked for me in Dallas. And he wanted to be a headquarters supervisor, which is launches your career in the FBI. And it was really important. So I got him promoted. So um, he's really happy. A Hispanic guy, great guy, came in and you know I gave him his orders. And he was so excited. So he came in the next morning, knocked on my door about 7 in the morning, said, boss, I can't take this promotion. I said, why not? He said, well, my wife won't move. I said, let me tell you something. You can get another wife. You can't get another FBI career. You better think about that. <laughs> and he went home and told her that. He he got he took the transfer and she went. So sometimes wow. you got to call a bluff, even with a wife. Uh, no, D- Dave, I'll let you finish up. Any no, questions I was just going to say. Have? I mean, it's we we've had on like um Mike Edwards with his wife actually. Like we've had on, you know, we, we know how hard it is to be that. Uh, well, we don't know how hard it is. But we know that it's it's very challenging, and it takes a very strong individual to be that partner, whether it's the wife or the, or the husband that stays behind. Right. Um, it right. takes it takes a lot. It takes a lot, and and you know uh, to hang out. And honestly, in the military, almost every time I saw a a in our case because it was only men, a a wife give the husband the ultimatum get out or I'm leaving, they would, even if he got out, they would end up splitting yeah, anyway. Yeah, that, that's like, anyway. that's right. so common. It's like a cliche, but it's true. Right. That the, the, they're, they're already on their way out the door regardless. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, and it's not saying anything about a, a, about a spouse who doesn't want that life because some it's people... It's tough. It's really tough. It's tough. Um, but, it's, but in your case and in other cases, it's very fortunate when um when people have that partner that will stand by them well that and, and from have a sense of humor yeah i mean it, debbie tells a story once i um I had to deploy we were dating and she took me to andrews where our planes were and i i am on the phone talking to, to headquarters and intel guys and you know how they you know what works whenever you have to deploy and i'm talking to the world and i'm really busy so i get out of the car and i uh Walk through the gate, uh, walk up the ramp of a C-140, or I think it was, C-141, whatever. And I leave, and I go away for a long time. And she picked me up, and Andrew, she said, you know what? You didn't tell me goodbye. You didn't kiss me. You didn't tell me you love me. She said, I could have driven you to the airport naked. You would not have noticed that. I said, well, I would have noticed you picked me up like that. But that's humor. And I think that's the way they deal with our lives, is they make light of it. Yeah. And that you know we are pretty busy at times and but when it comes down to it the most important thing in my life is my faith and my family and uh and they know that and um you know it's just having the right woman is really important and uh danny and and dave permit permit me to interrupt for one second i just wanted to give a uh, shout out to our boy bk who uh he's a previous guest on the show back on episode 66 he's a former air force pararescue guy Really oh, good, wow. really good dude. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately went through some health problems. He needed a new kidney, and one of his one of his boys manned up, 
uh, you know, really came through for him, donated his kidney wow. so that BK can get one. Um, and he went through the surgery this week, and BK is in the hospital right now recovering. He's on his way back home shortly. Um, so, you know, I hope you get well soon, BK. And, uh, you know, shout out, yeah, to your, shout, shout out to your boy who taking care of you. Um, and actually has had a, had a kidney worth donating because most of us probably don't at this point. Well, I mean, my liver's completely fucked. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. But yeah. <laughs> I tell you, those guys, those pararescue guys, they're unbelievable. They really are. They're superhuman. Yeah. No, they really are. Super talented, super smart. Um, Yeah. Yes. Yeah, great guys. Out out of curiosity, Danny, you know, one of the topics that comes up occasionally on this show uh, is sort of like the whole post-traumatic stress, you know, the, you know, veteran benefits, things like that. Yeah. I mean, HRT finds themselves in some very hostile situations, very dangerous situations. Um, at times, is there is there a trend amongst people in the HRT guys in the HRT with that? Is it or or is it? Yeah, I guess that's the question. Oh, um, well, I'll give you an answer. Um, when 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 the HRT was forming up, when they picked me, and then little less than they done, um, the director of the FBI sent a psychiatrist to help me develop a selection course along with the academy. Yeah. And he said, what is the first personality trait you're looking for? I said, a sense of humor that beats stress, it shows intelligence, and it keeps you focused. And I think that's one of the things that helps us a lot. I mean, I went to an HRT funeral where two of our guys were killed. And during the funeral, the guys making the talks are busting on the guys who were dead. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was like, oh my God. But that's the way we deal with each other. It's all humor. It's all very, um, it's it's a little bit like mass humor. Um, but, and they love each other. I mean, they, you know, um, I'll tell you what, um, I will send you the HRT cream. It's amazing. You need to read it. It talks about who we are. And if you go on my website, go on to www.colsonsecure.com. Uh, the th- second thing down in the website is the HRT Creed, and it's beautiful, and it's a mystery. Nobody knows who wrote it. Uh, it showed up at the HRT compound on a desk, and now we use it for all the ceremonies, wow. funerals, get-togethers, but you ought to get it and read it, and it's, it's very it's, – I get teary when I read it. It yeah. talks about who we are and how we look at each other. Danny, what's that website again? Colson. And that's a little that's piece my- of uh, FBI lore there that the this creed just shows up on a desk and no one quite knows who wrote yeah. it. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what, it's it's when I every time I read, it, I get teary. Wow, because it is who we are, and um, it's a mystery, and maybe it should be. And I will tell you one thing. I did not write it. I'm not that good a writer. But this is amazing. Last couple uh, user questions, uh, viewer questions. Uh, Brad wants to know, what was your biggest challenge in leadership? Oh, my God. I think putting that team together, Mm -hmm. um, picking the right people, um, fighting the people that weren't believers, Never given up. Um, I think that was the biggest leadership challenge I had. I had a lot of them. 
Um, I'll tell you, uh, making hard decisions. I'll tell you one quick one. Um, a guy went through selection Gen 1. He was probably number three in his class, maybe four. A, a good guy and a really good guy. Former SF guy and just, you know, a, a specimen. So we go to Delta and um, the Delta commander comes to me and said, Danny, I don't know how hard you guys work out. Please do not work out in my gym. You'll, I will get my guys in there. Because at that time, it was in the brig. The Delta HQ was in the brig, and, and they had a little small compound. So I got all the boys together, and I said, stay out of the gym. Colonel Pascal has asked us not to go to the gym. Next morning, 7 o'clock, knock on the door of the XO. So we need to talk. I said, oh, crap, what's wrong? He said, so-and-so, one of my operators, worked out in the Delta gym. I said, really? Go get him. So brought him in, sat him down and said, uh, did you hear what I said to you about not working out in the Delta gym? He said, I did. I said, where'd you work out last night? He said, in the Delta gym. I said, really? Who told you you could do that? He said, the command sergeant major said I could. I said, really? Is he your commander? He said, no, you are. I said, not anymore. I'm not. You don't work here. And I fired him on the spot. Got him a cab, sent him to the airport, and I walked in and told the men, if I tell you to do something, you goddamn want to do it. Now, was that hard? It was terrible. That's a challenge to get rid of your best operator because he didn't follow the rules. And that was really important to me. So I had several instances like that. And I think where you have to get rid of somebody you really like because um, they don't do the, they can't do the job. And that, that's, that's a challenge. Andrew asks, what does Danny make of the conspiracies about John Doe number two at Oklahoma City? Um, that bothers me a lot. Um, I know there are 24 FD302s, which are FBI reports, that put somebody in the truck with McVeigh. And they poo-pooed that. I remember I left that after a while. I, I left that command. So that bothers me a lot. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it bothers me because I don't know the answer. And I wasn't there to finish it. So um, all I know is that FBI 302s are pretty accurate. And they had 24 of them that said there was somebody in the truck with them. It's eerie, yeah. Um, Casey, thank you. Um, Dave, you got anything? No, Danny, we just, we love having you on, man. We really, we really appreciate it. Um, we really appreciate you. So thank you for joining us again and, and spending really? an evening with us. Really, um, And if it's okay, Danny, I think for the bonus segment, I'd really like to um, keep you to talk about Iran-Contra. Uh, that's an interesting subject to me. You said you got to know Ali pretty well. Um, I did. Uh, well, let me say let me say this. I, I, I love doing your show. The two times I've done it, um, most of the stuff I do now is you know soundbite crap for network. Oh, television. it's horrible! I know. And and I really like being on with you guys because we can. And first of all, I have a lot of respect for what you both done. You've been there, done that. Um, but you got to remember, some of the people's show I go on is Rachel Maddow. So even you look good compared to her. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, I mean, that meets my bar of excellent. If I, if I, if I look. No, you have a great show. And, and I really do appreciate what you're doing for our country. I think that's important. I think that people with your background experience need to have a lot more exposure. And uh, thank you for what you do. Well, look, look, Danny, I mean, a lot of people always say, like, hey, why, why are kids today worshiping this uh, rock star or rapper or sports guy? What about the real heroes? Well, 
Yeah, that's you. On the team house, we inter- we interview real heroes, real people. Um, you know, and I, I didn't do so much in the military. I'm just kind of the guy that promotes those people forward and, and gets their voices out there. And um, I'm very honestly, I'm very proud to be able to do that. Yeah, it's it's honestly a blessing for us to. It's a blessing for us to be able to to a talk to talk to you, talk to people like you, and and not just the action guys, but the analysts, the you know. Everybody, everybody who makes it happen, you know, it's a part in it. Yeah. yeah, And, and it's a blessing to be able to, you know, bring people, bring you and people like you to our, to our audience who, who, you know, may not know these stories, you know, may not know the history. I'm I'm learning things as we go to me. Yeah. It's it's just it's a blessing. That's all I can say. It's a blessing, folks. Uh, next episode is going to be a little bit different. Episode one hundred. I have authorized a party on this team house episode here in the <laughs> studio. Uh, there's going to be about seven of us in here. We got whiskey from Toxic Masculinity. My boy, my friend uh, Mario, donated some stogies. So we're going to have some familiar faces here in studio. We're going to have a bit of a party, pizza, drinks. Uh, it'll be a good time. Um, so I hope you'll join us. And in the meantime, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, like us. Share us with your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your dog. Get them subscribed also. And uh, there's a link down in the description to the Patreon. And also the merch. There's t-shirts. There's coffee mugs. Come on, guys. So uh, and thank you. And also, uh, check you out know, Danny's book. Check out Danny's book. I, I promise oh, you, you, you will not be disappointed. Well, it's got a couple of big words. I'm surprised both of you can read it. Oh, I no, I I was asking my girlfriend the entire time to translate full sentences <laughs> for me. So, um, uh, you guys take care. It's an honor to be with you. It's an honor to know you. Thanks. Oh, for oh my gosh, we we had a, we have we've had a couple uh, to jump in. Can I ask you two quick ones? Yeah. All right, Mr. Colson, I remember reading your book in the late 90s, and it got me into law enforcement in Texas. Thanks for all you've done. Jimbo, that's cool, man. Thank you. Uh, Jerry, oh, cool. what is the best CTHRT unit in Europe, in your opinion? SAS. Right on, man. So um, please stick around, Danny. We'll do the bonus segment, and uh, I think we'll